We are continuing our sermon series in the book of the Psalms this morning, and this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 116. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Morgan. If you do know me, I'm sorry. You know, since I hired the volunteer position of the CEO of Making Fun of Me, I'm just reminded about that, that it's not a pleasure to know me. It's not. Just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> has, has anyone ever experienced decision paralysis? Like, would anyone say, like, when you, you're talking about, like, going out to brunch after church or lunch, it's, like, difficult to make the choice? Because of every, like, does anyone struggle with that? Does anyone, like, oh, there's too many options. I don't know what to pick. Maybe something that you don't think about unless you're in this spot. On a book, a sermon series on the book of the Psalms, there are 150 that you have to choose. (laughs) Just a fun little, and each one of them can be preached. Um, So it's difficult to, sometimes it actually takes a while before you even get started on the sermon to figure out like, all right, what what does God want to say to the church this morning? Um, And I do believe that God has something for each one of us. So we'll be looking at Psalm 116, um, and this falls within the Egyptian hallow, um, which first century Judaism took together, um, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. They would read them and recite them at every Jewish festival, recounting Israel's freedom from their slavery in Egypt. So Psalm 116, if you have a copy of God's Word Um, whether on a phone or in the pew Bible, or um, it'll be on the screens. Psalm 116, we'll read all of it, and then we'll kind of make our way through it. Psalm 116, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unweary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I'm your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice the thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So if you look back to verse 1, it says, I love the Lord for he heard my voice, he heard my cry 
for mercy. Verse two, because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. At the beginning of last month, um, we had a event in youth ministry for youth and families. We went bowling. And so at this event, we had different bowling lanes. Um, we had three different bowling lanes. And, you know, when you're bowling, you kind of bowl and then you're chit chatting, right? You're grabbing some food. You're just, and then. Oh, it's my turn, and you go back up, and it's kind of this mix of like you're paying attention, you're bowling, and then you're kind of just chit-chatting and waiting until it comes back around again. Well, I was up, and if you don't know this about me, I don't excel at bowling. And so, you know, I, I got up to bowl one time when it was my turn, and I just, you know, inevitably just beautiful form, right? And I bowled it just straight into the gutter. And I didn't even go halfway on the lane before it just went right into the gutter. And I, turn, I remember turning around as if to say like, oh, did anyone see how horrendous that was? And no, no, no one did. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing. I thought like, oh, interesting. Like that it was just this, like when little Jimmy is playing soccer and little Jimmy, for the first time of the season, scores a goal, what's little Jimmy do? Turns to the sideline to see mom and dad cheering him on. And then little Jimmy gets all excited, even more excited than scoring the goal when mom and dad are cheering him on. Have you ever been talking, maybe telling a story Maybe it's a long story. Maybe it's an elaborate story. And then at some point in telling the story, you become self-aware enough to realize that nobody's listening anymore. <laughs> right? That we have those moments. And what does verse 2 say? It says, because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. Because he, God, turns his ear towards you. If you ever feel alone or isolated, know that the ear of God is always turned towards you. He never gets bored of you or sick of you, of hearing you talk to him. His ear is always turned towards you. There's never a moment when his ear is not turned towards you, even if everyone else has stopped listening to you. His ear is always turned towards you. Verse 3 says, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And I called in the name of the Lord, Lord, save me. Sometimes, oftentimes, it's in desperation that we really cry out to God, right? Maybe there's been a moment in your life when maybe you're in deep physical pain. 
Or maybe you're in deep emotional pain and it's whatever that is of being in that deep place where you cry out to God, God, help me. God, I need you. God, I can't move on without you. God, help me. God, save me. Oftentimes it's in this place of desperation where we cry out to God. As I was looking through this passage, um, verse three and four stood out to me and I was like, oh, that reminds me of Jonah. I didn't know this before um, preparing for this, but Jonah actually in Jonah chapter two is quoting Psalm 18 and Psalm 116 in his prayer. Um, So I guess that's why it stuck out to me. Um, So Jonah, the book of Jonah, has a fourfold descent. Um, So when God comes to Jonah, he says, go to Nineveh, great city, and says Jonah turned and ran away from the Lord. And it says Jonah went down to Joppa. Then it says that Jonah paid a fare and went down into the boat. They get out into the sea and waves are coming, a storm's coming. The, the sailors are crying out to their own gods. And what has Jonah done? It says Jonah has gone down into the bottom of the boat. Then they, the sailors say, Who, who's at fault for this? And Jonah says, me, I'm, 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 I'm the one. And they said, what should we do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And Jonah went down towards the bottom of the sea. And it's in that place from what we see in Jonah's prayer where Jonah cries out to the Lord. When Jonah is at the lowest place, in desperation, he cried to God. And then that great fish came, grabbed Jonah, spit him out. And that was not a judgment against Jonah. It was actually God's means of saving Jonah. Verse five, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. As we cry out to God in our lives, we don't do it ignorant of who he is, right? What does the psalmist say? The Lord is gracious, righteous, full of compassion. When you cry out to God, when we cry out to God in our lives, we do it knowing who he is. We do it knowing his character. We don't cry out ignorant of who God is, but we cry out knowing that God is good, knowing that God is gracious, compassionate. We don't cry out ignorant of who God is. We cry out knowing who God is. All right, verse 7 through 11. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death. You've delivered my eyes from tears. You've delivered my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Trust in the Lord when I said I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. Then 12 and 13, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation, call on the name of the Lord. That verse is really interesting to me, verse 11. In my alarm, 
in my alarm, I said, everyone's a liar. <laughs> Has that ever happened with you where there's a situation that comes up that's shocking to you, surprising to you, totally caught you off guard, caused something, something happened that you weren't prepared for, and what can oftentimes happen? Our walls go up. We don't let anyone in. Our walls go up. We get defensive. We turn people away. And that kind of seems like to me, what's, everyone's a liar. Get defensive. We turn people away. Ah, oh, but isn't verse 7 beautiful? Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Return to your rest, my soul. Jesus said in Matthew 11, said this, Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Um, it's been pointed out that there are two rests that we find in that, in those few verses, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The first rest is given to us freely. When we come to Christ, when we accept his grace to us, we receive a rest. But then there's another rest that he also talks about right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One rest is given when we come to Christ and receive salvation, but there's another rest, a rest that's found by learning from Jesus. And I think that a lot of Christians, a lot of us, perhaps, are stuck in between the two rests. Where we've come to Christ, we receive his salvation, this rest that is offered to us, but then in our lives, there's still this pressure, there's still this fear, there's still a lack of rest. And perhaps we're stuck in the middle of these rests. And oftentimes the pressure in our lives, it, if we think about it, it, it makes sense. In the 1960s, futurists all over the world, from sci-fi writers to political theorists, thought that by now, we'd be working way fewer hours. You can laugh. Um, one famous Senate subcommittee in 1967 was told that by 1985, the average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. Everyone thought the main problem of the future would be too much leisure. We say, oh, that'd be nice. 
right? It, it used to be that leisure was a sign of wealth. But oftentimes, perhaps, maybe, busyness nowadays is almost seen as a sign of wealth. How often when you've been asked, or how often have you heard when you ask someone, how are you? How often have you heard or answered busy? Or good, but busy. That it's almost like a badge of honor that we wear of I'm busy. As if our significance and importance is wrapped up in, oh, I'm doing a lot of things. Like, isn't it like, if you aren't busy, like, what are you doing? Like, unlike me, who's involved in this and this and this and this and this and this, right? It's almost seen as a badge of honor that, that gives us value, significance. We're busy. And I think that it's slowly or perhaps quickly destroying us that it's eating us up inside, that we're stuck between these rests. The second rest is found in taking on the yoke of Jesus. John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, um, has brought up that people think that rest is found in a vacation, but actually what Jesus prescribes is a work instrument. A yoke was for oxen, and they would put a, oftentimes an old ox in with a young ox, and the young ox would learn to go the pace of the older ox. And it actually was painful when the young ox would, because it was wrapped around their neck, that it was painful when the young ox would go too slow or go too fast, but it was easy when they began to go the pace of the older ox. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, learn from me. Learn to bear the weight of the world the way that I show you how to do that. Learn from me in how to live. Oftentimes when we think of rest, we think relaxing, we think vacation. We think, oh, if I just get out of the hamster wheel of how society says I live and how we do live, we get out of it, we jump out of it for a vacation, spend a week out of it, and then what do we do? Jump right back in and start sprinting again. You know, I, I think that it's like, do you know, anyone know how to drive a car? Oh, that's good, that's good. Um, I think it's like putting our foot to the pedal till it gets up to about 100 and setting cruise control. And we're, we're going up and down, sometimes straight, sometimes it's curvy road, and we are just on cruise control at an, at an unsustainable pace. And then what do we do? We break for a whole week. And then get right back on pedal to the metal, and flip cruise control back, back on. Let me tell you, well, actually, 
Justin, JD, and Brent, they'll tell you that's a terrible way to drive. And you are going to have trouble with the law and your health, safety, if you drive that way. What's a better way to drive? What's an appropriate relationship between the gas and the brake? It's paying attention to what the speed limit says. Jesus said this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Did you know that Sabbath is actually for us? It's for our benefit. Brian Cromer um, is a pastor, and he brought up four phases of Sabbath that I that I think are really they were really helpful for me, and and hopefully be helpful for you. Um, the the word in Hebrew for Sabbath is Sabbat, which literally means stop. First phase of Sabbath is stop. Whatever you do every other day, rest from normal rhythms. Stop from normal rhythms. Second phase, rest. Think about this question, and this doesn't just mean, oh, sleep all day. Doesn't just mean, oh, don't do anything. Think about this question, what drains you in your life? What are the things that are draining for you? Rest from those things. Oftentimes, if we think about Sabbath, maybe in our minds, we might miss that third aspect and oh-so-important aspect of delight. Think about what brings you life and do those things. Delight, what brings you life? Maybe it's being out in God's creation. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe something else. But what brings you life? What fills you up? And do those things. Verse 13 of the passage we're looking at um, talks about lifting up the cup of salvation. Of God's cup, where it's almost this being filled by God. In Jeremiah 2.13, it says this. God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So as we think about this third aspect of what brings me life, what, with the Jeremiah 2 passage in mind, that sometimes the things that we think might fill us or bring us life might not actually do that if we're seeking to dig our own cisterns while ignoring the spring of living water. What are the things that bring you life? Bring God into those things. Be filled on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not just a resting, but it's a being filled. Lastly, worship. This is different. This word's different than simply a day off. It's more than just singing. The focus of worship being realigning your heart to God and to his goodness. 
You know, we get into the hamster wheel of society and how culture demands that we live. Busyness is a part of that, but Sabbath isn't. We need to be intentional to live in the way that Christ calls us to. I think Sabbath can be a big part of receiving that greater rest from Jesus, learning from him. We need to be intentional to live with the intentionality of Jesus, not just how culture says we should live. All right, last section, 14 through the end. And again, the the question in verse 12, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I'll fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Some who have followed God um, have suffered martyrdom for their faith. Verse 16, truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I mean, what a great verse, especially for mothers. To be an example for your kids. The psalmist is declaring, I'm following you just like my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. 17, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and I'll call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Um, when I preached last on Psalm 118, um, I threw a video up afterwards and had an activity for you if you saw that. Um, but what it was was pay attention to what are the phrases that repeat. And here in this section, did you catch the phrase that was repeated both in verse 14 and verse 18? I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Following the commands of God in the presence of all his people. That's what the psalmist is repeating. That's what the psalmist is, one of the things the psalmist, I think, wants us to really pay attention to. Community, relationships, and friendships are one of the things that has decreased in our society. Pandemic was difficult on relationships, but did you know that between the years of 2014 and 2019, there was a 37% decrease of the amount of time per week that Americans spent with friends. Let that sink in. 37% less time that people spent with friends. Pandemic, that was 2014 to 2019. Pandemic furthered that to 58%. And so, and it's corrected a little, but Americans now spend half 
the amount of time with friends per week as we did a decade ago. It's pretty shocking, I think. On, on average, Americans did not transfer, on average, that lost time with friends to time, to additional time with children, spouses, or partners. But on average, that time was spent alone. The decrease was universal. Before you start pointing fingers at them or them or them, consistent among men and women, consistent among ethnicities, socioeconomic statuses, consistent among age. Both young and old saw this. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord. I will follow God in the presence of others. We are not to be alone in following God and in following his commands. We are not to be alone in crying out to God. We are not to be alone in seeking to put on the yoke of Jesus and follow in his ways. We are not to be alone in seeking to be filled by God. We are to live out the commands of God in community. We are to seek to walk in step with Jesus in his yoke with others. Oftentimes we think about my relationship with Jesus. But what about our relationship with Jesus? We are meant to pursue God in relationships. And if those trends continue, isn't that going to be even more important for us to prioritize doing life together? Because that's what God calls us to do. Invite someone in. You need it. They need it. We all need it. Invite someone to brunch after service, even if you struggle at picking a place. Invite someone over to your house this week. Don't wait. Prioritize this. Within the theological doctrine of the Trinity. Three and one, one and three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect community, in relationship to one another. Therefore, relationships are actually central to what it means to be made in the image of God. Friendships are an essential element of what it means to be made in God's image. We seek to reflect God in the world as image bearers of God, and we seek to do it alongside others. Don't follow God alone. Follow God with others, because that's exactly what you were designed and created to do. Let me pray for us. Lord, we look to you. Father, some of us are, perhaps most of us are, are exhausted and we need your rest. We need your greater rest, Lord. Pray that you would bring us deeper 
into you, deeper into community, Lord, so that we can experience a deeper rest that you offer us as we seek together to walk in your yoke alongside you, learning from you as our leader, as our guide, as our savior. Lord, help us live in the way you did. Lord, you are savior, you are our God, and we look to you above all else. Help us to follow you with others. Pray this in your name. Amen.